they say your name is Addie? Yes. Addie and Andy, we may just hit the road. <laughs> well, good morning to you. My name is Andy Bowman, and uh, uh, Brother Rob is a friend of mine, and he asked me to come and share the gospel with y'all today. Now, I, want, I don't know if y'all realize this or not. Maybe you do. Uh, but y'all are blessed in that you have a guy that loves Jesus and loves you and stands up and proclaims the gospel. We moved about a year ago from uh, Idabel to Broken Arrow, and we've been visiting when i not preaching, which is about three-fourths of the time I've been preaching someplace like this. And uh, there's a lot of guys out there that can't preach a lick and don't care about the gospel. So uh, you have a man or, that stands up and proclaims Jesus, you ought to be excited and happy about that, okay? Now let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been a pastor and preaching for a long time. Uh, I retired in, uh, spring, in spring of 2020. I'd had a couple of strokes simultaneously with no effect. God healed, blessed, and left me with no hindrances. Now, my wife would tell you different, but that's why I didn't bring her today. But uh, it, seriously, uh, it was a miracle, and God has taken care of that. But my doctor said you ought to retire because some of these pastoring things will kill you. So I did, but he told me to go and preach. And since that time, I've been to a neurologist, and they said, everything is great. You have no issues. You can preach, pastor, do whatever you want to do that God leads you to do. So I go out and preach any chance and every chance I get. My wife would be with me today, but she's ill this weekend. So um, I we have raised two sons, and uh, one of them, I told somebody earlier, works for you. He is a church planter for the North American Mission Board in Phoenix, Arizona, and used to pastor at Adair First Baptist Church, Brian Bowman. And he's kind of my claim to fame anymore. But uh, anyway, he's in Phoenix. My other son is is a police officer in Broken Arrow. And I told him, I said, Alan, he works midnight. So David, he'll show up about 11 o'clock at my house. I said, some of my neighbors are starting to wonder why once a week the cops show up. I said, do not turn on the lights. I said, I got a little old 85-year-old neighbor lady. that She's going to go apoplectic and pass out. And he thinks it's funny, but he shows up about 11, 11.30 at night. He'll, we'll get a text. We're going to bed. And you hear the phone dingle. And I said, there's Alan. Which one's going to get up? My wife will go and say, he wants to know if we're awake. I said, tell him we're awake, but he better hurry. So he comes to visit with us. That's a little bit about us. We've got five grandchildren that are wonderful, and uh, we enjoy them. My greatest joy in life, honestly, besides my wife, is my relationship with Jesus, is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering, I'm an old-fashioned Bible thumper, is what we used to call them. Stand up and believe the Word of God. I believe it's from the, from the index to the maps, it's all the holy, inspired, infallible Word of God. If there's something in there that's not right, you ain't smart enough, neither am I to figure it out, okay? So we're just going to take it at face value. That's a little bit of who I And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you this. Um, Amens do not scare me. Okay? My mentor in the ministry for many years was Dr. Sammy Davis, who was a black pastor until he was in his late 80s. I uh, went to be with Jesus last year. But uh, he would uh, come to my church, and I would go to his. In fact, they, in the hood, about two blocks from the Cotton Bowl, uh, was Fellowship Baptist Church. And they had Andy Bowman Day once a year in their church. And you ain't preached or had church until you've been with some brethren from another persuasion. When I'm up here preaching and all of a sudden the guy 
sitting behind me jumps up and smacks me in the middle of the back with a 27-pound Bible hollering, Preach it, brother! You know, that's preaching. That's, that's supporting me. So that's what I'm used to. I ain't look, I'm looking around. Ain't nobody ever. But amens do not bother me. All right? Just to lay the groundwork. So if you have your Bible, which I don't know why in the world you'd show up to eat if you don't bring the utensils. But uh, we're in Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah chapter 13. My brother back here is probably uh, freaking out because this thing keeps flipping around and everything. But if it goes off, brother, don't worry. We'll be all right because I'm loud enough I can carry this building. Jeremiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I, wherever I go, whenever I preach, I ask the people to stand in honor of God's word. Would you do that, please, if you can? Join me in standing. Jeremiah chapter 13. Now, Jeremiah is the prophet to Israel, and they're having some hard times. He's catching the dickens about it, too. They're blaming it on God and blaming it on him. So God says, let me, just, let me just lay this out for you guys, okay? Jeremiah 13 says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get you a linen girdle, loincloth. Put it upon your loins. Do not put it in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord, and I put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Now take the girdle that you've got, which is upon your loins. Rise and go to the river Euphrates. Hide it there in a hole of the rock. So I went, and I hid it by Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. So it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise and go to the river Euphrates. Take the girdle from there, where I commanded thee to hide it there. And I went to the river Euphrates, and I digged, and I took the girdle from the place where I'd hid it. And behold, the girdle is marred and profitable for nothing. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this same manner will I mar the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart. They walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be like this girdle, which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me a people for a name, for praise, for glory. But they would not hear me. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you'll lay aside everything from a while ago and let us not be worried about after a while. But, God, right now, that we will be focused on you and your Holy Spirit will have the complete attention inside of all of us. Speak to us as only you can, God. You know exactly where we are, what we need, what we've done, how we are. And I pray, God, your blessing upon this word. Hide me from me. Let Jesus Christ be seen. And we'll glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated now. <clears throat> now, let me just put this in Bowman version, okay? Jeremiah is the prophet. He's the priest. He's the preacher for the community. And God comes to him. He said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make an example of you to the people of Israel and Jerusalem. Go get you a linen girdle. Now, before some of you men freak out, it's a loincloth. And people in that day, they were normally... Poor folks generally wore one. It would be like a sash or a belt so that if you're out working in the farm, David, and, uh, you know, you need to do something, you could, Mama said, you'd heist it up, hook it in that belt so you could move. 
If you need to run from, a, from something, you could hoist it up, hook it in that belt, and move it. It's a loincloth. But there was also another kind of loincloth, the girdle, that you wore underneath your garments, inside, like we would call, forgive me, lady, underwear. So it's a, but he said, go get you a girdle. Go get you a linen girdle. Now, the outside was generally flax or some, some cheap material. That's what common people wore. If you bought a linen girdle, you, it cost you something. It was expensive. He said, now put it on your loins. Wear it. Don't wash it. Now, 14 mamas just went, oh, Lord. Now, think about that. This is not cool Washington State. This is arid, dry, dusty Israel. And he's got to go around doing his ministry, preaching the gospel, telling people what's going on all over town (coughs) with this thing on, and he can't take it off. And he can't wash it. I imagine after two or three or four weeks like that, the dog won't even befriend him. I mean... You remember the old cartoon of Peanuts and Pigpen would walk up and had this cloud of dust ever all around him? That's, that's my mind's eye picture of this. He walks into church and whoo, they clear out. He stinks. And then God comes to him after a while and says, Oh, by the way, you remember that girdle you got? Remember it. Good Lord. Well, you can take it off now. Hallelujah. He takes it off. He said, Now take it. To the river Euphrates. Now, if you don't know, know your geography of the Middle East, let me explain. Israel's here. The river Euphrates is 350 miles northeast by Babylon. By foot. He doesn't call Uber. He doesn't call the pastor and say, I need a ride to Euphrates. He's got to walk 350 miles. Now, some modern scholars say, we don't think he could walk that far, so he went to a local creek and did this. That's a lie. If God said he went to the river Euphrates, he went to the river Euphrates. So he goes 350 miles like this, carrying his girdle. He gets there. God said, dig a hole down them rocks by the river. He does that. He puts it in there and buries it and says, Whoo, hallelujah, praise God, I'm going home. He, he just does a jig all the way home 350 miles. So the Bible says after many days. Normally, many days in the Bible was about 30 at least. So let's just say 30 days. He's doing his ministry back in Jerusalem. He's forgotten all about the girdle. He finally got the ring around himself washed off. The family will now let him sit down to dinner. And God comes back and says, Jeremiah, yes, Lord. Whatever you want, except I don't want to wear another girdle. He said, you remember that girdle? Yes, go get it. Go get it. Lord, do you not remember where we buried that thing? 350 miles that way. Go get it. Dig it up. Lord, I'll buy you a new one. Go get the old one. So he trots himself 350 miles. Digs around in the rocks and finds that girdle. And I can imagine. My mind's eye pulls it up like this. Sweet Jesus. Lord, do you see this thing? It's marred. 
It's torn. It's mildewed and molded. The bugs have been in it. It's nasty. And God said, yeah. That's the way Israel is becoming to me. But it's profitable for nothing, God. And God said, that's how Israel has become to me. Now, somebody asked me, they always, you know, I feel like y'all always look at a, a visiting preacher like we used to, a substitute teacher at school. What can we get away with and how soon we get out of here? But I know Rob Pierce, so I'll be out before he would, okay? Y'all listen fast. There's four things I want to tell you real quick out of this story. God said, yeah, it's profitable for nothing. That's like Israel. I wanted them to be my people. I wanted them to be, have a name. I wanted them to bring glory. I wanted to be their God and they would be my people, but they would not. There's four things you need to get if you're going to take notes. First thing is this. God wants you close. Because he tells Jeremiah there at the end, he said, as the girdle cleaves, that means clings. That means it's wrapped up tight to the loins of a man. So I wanted Israel to be that close to me. Do you not know that God wants you close? That everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about getting, maintaining, and blessing a relationship with a holy God. God created Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone, so I'll prove on that. Make a woman. All the men are afraid of saying anything, and all the women smiling. I know. But God knew that I'm creating Adam for fellowship with me. Eve is for fellowship with him. And they together will have fellowship with me. Does he not say when they sinned? He said, where have you been? I come every day to walk with you in the cool of the evening. And what are you doing now? Because sin broke that relationship and fellowship. Do you not know that no matter where you've been, what you've done, how sorry you've lived, how much sin you've been involved in, God wants you close. That's one of the greatest things I believe about God. You can say, well, it's love and all that. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't want you close. God wants you close. He wanted Israel to be wrapped up in him. He wants you and I as a Christian and as a church, he wants us so wrapped up on Jesus Christ that nothing else really matters. God wants you close. You know, he don't really want me. I've, got a, I've made a mess and my life's all this and this and that. It doesn't matter. God still wants you close. That's the motive of everything we do is God wants you close. Stop and think about it. There are some people in your life you think, I wish they wouldn't come around. Y'all can be honest with me. I don't, I'm going home in a little while. I got some of them kinfolk. Oh, Lord, are they here? Lord, bless them as they leave. But God wants you close. You think about the one in your family, the one in your life, your friend, your family, you just love to be around and hang out with and visit with and fish with or hunt with or whatever you do. Multiply that 100,000 times. That's God. I don't care who David is, what he's done, or anything else. God wants you close. But let me tell you a problem with that. Sin 
always ruins. Sin always ruins. Now think about it. In the Garden of Eden, they're in a perfect place. They're in perfect fellowship with each other. They're in perfect fellowship with God Almighty. God is there. They see and talk with Him. He walks with them. And sin comes along. The relationship between Adam and Eve, it's ruined. You say, how's that? She did it. He did it. The relationship is not the same anymore, is it? And let's be very honest, couples. You're dealing with the same kind of junk from way back in the Garden of Eden today. Because of sin. Sin ruins. It ruins relationships. It separates us from the Holy God. It'll ruin your physical health. It'll ruin your mental health. It will ruin your life. And you and I know that. The thing that's sad about sin is we keep running back to it. Sin ruins. It'll ruin the way you walk with God. It'll ruin the way you relate with your spouse, with your children, with your parents. It'll ruin your job. It'll ruin your everything about you. It'll ruin. Now, you may have heard this old statement, but it's still true, and I like it. It says that sin will take you farther than you ever planned on going. It'll keep you longer than you planned on staying. And it always costs you more than you thought you'd ever pay. I know, I know a man that came and sat in my office a couple of years ago when I was the pastor of that community in Idabel. And he said, I, I thought I could just play with drugs a little bit. Recreationally. I thought that I could just handle it. But it wasn't very long until it was handling me. And it screwed up my marriage. It screwed up my relationship with my kids. I lost my parents. I've lost everything, Brother Andy. I never thought, he said, I never thought it would cost me so much. And some of you know that pain. If you didn't, you wouldn't be having a class I heard announced about how to, for family members to deal with that garbage. It don't have to be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be just being a sorry, no good feller. It can be flirting with a girl at work. Sin always takes it further than you planned on going. It'll keep you involved longer than you planned on staying, but it always has a price you weren't willing to pay. You see... I grew up in church. I grew up in a Baptist church. I grew up in a Sunday school church. I got saved when I was about eight years of age and knew that. And I surrendered to preach when I was about 15. God started calling me when I was about 12. I was about 15. I surrendered to preach. By the time I was 17, I was a teenage alcoholic. Every day at school, I had a bottle in my locker. I had a bottle in my car. If anybody needed a, a pop, comes the Andy. I couldn't make enough money working part-time of what I was doing to, uh, to take care of my needs. So me and another guy, we started our own little business. 
we'd go to a beer joint about 11 o'clock, and everybody was having a good time, and we'd break into every car in the place and steal everything we could. We figured they're going to be here a long time, won't get caught, and besides that, they won't know if they had it when they get out or not. Don't look at me. You know what I'm talking about. So see, sin started here and it increased to here. And now it's increased to this. It cost me friendships. It cost me a lot of things with my parents. And all the time, God said, I want you close. You mean when you were drinking and carrying on and acting a fool and stealing stuff? He was still saying, I want you close. Come on. My mother's an old-fashioned Southern Baptist from way down in Mississippi. So she didn't care how late I was out on Saturday. Well, she cared, but she didn't know how late I'd be out on Saturday night and what all I'd been doing, how much booze I'd drunk. But bless God, Sunday morning, you had chores to do and you got church to go to. Man, I sat and heard sermons. I was so hungover. Oh, somebody's like that today, right? Amen, lights. I'm going to get it one way or another. Sin ruins. Second thing about sin I want to tell you about. Third point. Sin has to be removed. It must be removed. God can't tolerate it. The illustration he used with Jeremiah is, did you get, basically, did you get sick of that girdle on you? Did you get sick of its stain and the smell and the stench and the fact that nobody probably would like you? Did you get sick of it? Well, that's the way you need to be with sin because it's got to go. God, listen, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. Sin has to be removed. I'm sick and tired of a bunch of snowflakes or whoever, even in our churches, that want to say, well, I can drink all I want, I can do drugs if I want, I can have a girlfriend on the side if I want, and sing in the praise team on Sunday morning. No, you can't. I may not get invited back. (laughs) Happened before. Sin must be removed before you can move on with your life. Well, how are we going to remove that? Everybody else is the same situation I'm in. It's the blood of Jesus. If we repent, if we confess our sins, and by the way, that word confess in, over there in 1 John is not, I'm, I'm saying I'm sorry for it. The word confess there means literally, you ready for this Bible lesson? It means I'm agreeing with God. God says, you fooling around your wife is sin. I don't care what the world calls it. I don't care what the politics calls it. It's sin. And I know we don't have a whole lot of preachers anymore that want to call sin, sin, beloved of God. And that's part of the problem we've got in the whole dadgum country. But sin has to be removed. And the common thought among a lot of Christians is, well, everybody's in the same boat. We're all doing the same thing. It'll be all right. Kumbaya. It's not all right. Did you not read the scripture? So, Brother Andy, we're all saved here. We're all good Christian people here. Hallelujah. Did you not read the scripture? 
that the Word of God says, do you not know that judgment begins first with the church? You can look around and cuss every satanic thing going on in the world, and we can agree about that maybe. But, beloved of God, God's not going to start the pecking order with the drug pusher. He's going to start with the Christians. Sin has to be removed. It has to be removed. Well, brother, ain't doesn't God love us like we are? But like I said, he loves you too much to leave you like that. It's got to go. When I was a kid, I grew up on the farm, and I grew up hauling hay. I ain't talking about fancy hay hauling. I'm talking about pick them up with your hands and throw them on the truck and stack them and unstack them, okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, the rest of y'all need to ask somebody who knows what you're talking about. I, start, I went to the hay field when I was nine years old with my father. He started a hay hauling business. Nine years old, I was the oldest son. I'm his assistant. He put me behind the, behind the wheel of, the, of, the, of an old uh, four-wheel drive pickup truck, and I couldn't reach any of the pedals. He said, that's all right, just hold her steady right between the bales. I've got it in granny gear. It'll run along slow enough that I can throw the bales on. When I holler, just jump down there and hit the brake, and it'll die. Okay, so we did that. When I was about 15, he said, you know, I think I'm about old enough to retire on this hay hauling business. So you're in charge now. I'm 15. I got two hay hauling crews, two trucks. We in high cotton, I thought. Dad got the jobs. I saw the work was done. It was cool, I thought. We got into a deal, you know, when you're hauling hay, and all of a sudden the, the weatherman's predicting it's going to rain for about a week, and 16 guys have got hay all over the ground. Guess what? You don't get a break. Some of y'all go, you don't? Don't you just work 40 hours? You don't get a break. We got into one season like that, truthfully, and I had two crews going, and we didn't stop morning, noon, or night for three days. When I finally was going to go to take a nap in the back of a truck so I could go haul hay again in a couple of hours, my britches stood up by themselves. They are so sweaty and filled with hay and dirt, they just stood up there. I said, well, I'll get to you all later. That's how Jeremiah, or Jeremiah felt. This thing is filthy. I don't want no part of it. And God said, until you get sick and tired, of sin, like I'm sick and tired of it, you don't hate it, and therefore you don't get rid of it. God wants you close, but sin ruins everything it touches, and it has to be removed by repentance and forgiveness and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't we sing that? What can wash away my sin? Nothing, praise God, but the blood of Jesus. Sin must be removed. There's a scripture. Now, some of y'all are thinking, I know what I used to be, so I'm still that way. I used to be a boozer. I used to be, a, be this or that. And you got this image of yourself that you still are. Well, I'm saved, but I'm still this. Let me tell you the truth. According to the word of God, that's a lie. That's a lie. Oh, Brother Andy, I still have to deal with all this kind of stuff. I still have to, to worry about all. No, you don't. Not according to the Word of God. You see, here's the way God sees sin. 
If I go to God and say, dear Lord, I want this particular sin. I want this thing in my life. There's, there's another point there. I don't have time to develop. But this stuff about, Lord, forgive me all my sins. Good night is nonsense. How about getting gut level honest and say, God, I lied to that woman. Please forgive me for that. Quit throwing a blanket on everything. Why is that? Because God wants you to know how sorry it was. I got to get back to my sermon. I read in the Bible that this removal thing is so fantastic. The Bible says, as far as east is from west, that's east, right? Hang with me, brother. Wake up. That's east. My friend over here told me if I go east far enough, I'm going to hit Salina, Locust, Siloam Springs. Did you realize that if you go east far enough and you go all around the globe and come back on the ungodly, I mean the other side, and you come back to here, guess what direction you've been walking all that time? East. East. Now, I did pay attention in class a few times. If you leave here and go north, you'll hit Kansas, Nebraska, etc., etc., and you hit the North Pole, and guess what? When you start again past the North Pole, what direction are you going? South. You can go all the way around, circle around, and when you hit the South Pole and you start back to Oklahoma, what direction are you going? North. Isn't it amazing that God, throughout the Word of God, says it so specifically? He said, as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions, he didn't say north and south. Because east and west never, ever meet. So when you ask God to remove something from your life, and he takes it east, it'll never come back on the other side. East and west will never meet. That's how far he has removed my transgressions from me and you. Once it's removed, it's gone. And it's gone forever. We don't believe that. Because some of you could give testimony right now about, I'm just a sorry, no good so-and-so, and here's what I was, and Jesus saved me, but this is what I am. Nonsense! I got saved, I became a child of Almighty God, and He changed my life, and He made me a new creation, and all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You said, that didn't happen to me. Then you need to get saved today. I'm about to get fired up here. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. When you give your life to Christ, and I know some church want to debate this thing. Once saved, always say that's foolishness, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. When my kid was born, no matter how he lived, he was my kid. Amen? They can be the sorriest dog in the high school, and they're still your kid. You may have to walk over and go, what do you do now? That's your kid. Do you not realize that's what God is with you? And you can look God square dab on the face, as Sammy used to say, right on the white of the eyeball. And say, but God, I'm a drunk and I'm an alcoholic and all this. And God say, I thought that was forgiven. And the Bible says, he remembers them no more. 
You can go to God day after day after day, and some of you do, and you want to tell Him about all this stuff you did 10 years ago, and if you've been saved since then or got right since then, God's saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you mean God forgets that? No, He says, I don't remember that. It's like the old the, the, the old boy walked into church and on visiting one Sunday, and he was sitting back there, and he got the amening and hollering and shouting and carrying on, and one of the deacons walked in and said, Brother, you're going to have to hold it down. We don't do that around here. He said, Man, the preacher's preaching about the Bible, and I just got excited about it. He said, We don't get that way around here. So he kept on, and finally they said, You're going to have to go. We got a cry room back here in the back that's not that's empty. You can go in there. So he goes in there and they look through the little window and pretty soon he's shouting and hollering and carrying on back there by himself. One old boy walks in and says, What are you doing? He said, Man, I was reading the reading the Bible back here about what the preacher's talking about. He said, Well, give me that Bible. So he's sitting back there and pretty soon he's screaming, hollering, and carrying on again. They go back there and say, What are you doing? We took your Bible. He said, Well, there's a copy over here, the National Geographic. And I was reading it, and it said the deepest part of the Pacific Ocean is 47,843 feet deep. The guy said, so what? He said, the Bible says that's where God's buried my sin. I got happy about it. Did you not read that part? That he took your sins and buried them in the deepest part of the sea and remembers them no more. The country boy put it this way. He said, God dumped all my sins there and then put up a big sign that said, no fishing. Some of you are still living in 10 years ago sin. Either you never repented of it or you still drag it around like a bad curse. And that's not of God. You say, man, I got saved three years ago. Then everything before three years ago is dead, buried, and gone. We got signals. But see, if, if you don't believe that or understand that, That can't excite you. As I said, when I was 15, I started to preach. When I was 17, I was a teenage alcoholic. And God came calling. He said, I put you here to preach. Either preach or you can go home with me. I said, you know what, Lord? I think I'll preach. I'm telling the truth. And I did not have to go back and dwell on all these booze I've drunk, all these things I stole, all these people I hurt. I didn't. Once I went to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm ashamed of being your son. I am so sorry for acting that way. And he forgave it. I don't ever have to mention it again because he doesn't. Do you know what Satan's one of his, some of his greatest tools are? To get you to believe how sorry you are and keep you under guilt and shame. And God does not deal with guilt and shame. He brings Holy Ghost conviction and He offers you the chance to repent. And when you do, He changes your life. I may be offensive to you. I may have to take half a baby aspirin and go home and go to sleep. It offends me so much. But let me tell you something. There's a popular theory and theology going around, has been for the last several years, that says when David, for example, stands before God in his prayer time or whatever, that God doesn't see David. He just He's covered with blood, and that's all Jesus that God sees. That's a lie. He sees David. That's my son. Because of the blood of Jesus, he's been born again, forgiven, and made into the new family member of God. 
It's not that he just, oh, I just see the blood. I can't see how sorry Andy is. No. He sees me. You know what makes me proud? You say, I'll pride you sin. Wait till I tell you what I'm getting proud about. I'm proud that God calls me his son. That yes, I can screw things up. And yes, I can fail him. And yes, I can disappoint him. But no matter what, once I'm truly born again, or you're truly born again, you can not be out of the family. Some dear saints sitting there going, you don't know Bobby like I know Bobby. If your son or daughter is born to you, they're yours. Like it or not. And they will disappoint you and hurt you. But they're still yours. And my Bible says, if you men being evil men know how to love your children, how much more does God know how to love you? I got to wind this up. I learned from Sammy that a good preacher can close three or four times. This is my first try. God wants you close. He wanted Israel in such a relationship that he would defend them, protect them, provide for them. He said, but you won't do it. That's the problem with a lot of people in our world. They think they've screwed up so badly that God doesn't want them around. In church, your job and my job as Christians is to let them know that no matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, God loves them and wants them close. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Not because they were good or bad, but because they were lost. And Jesus came because sin ruins. It ruins your life. It'll ruin your health. It'll ruin your relationship. And it will definitely ruin you et your eternity if you don't know Jesus Christ. Sin has to be removed. You cannot serve God with one hand and serve the devil with the other. You can't do it. Well, you don't know. Yeah, I do. Been there and tried to do that. It doesn't work. You see, the Bible says over and over, God says, I'm a jealous God, and I won't put up with anything over here. It's me and me alone. And if you've truly been born again, why would you want to go back to the vomit, as the Scripture says, a dog will return to his vomit? Why would you want to go back to the mess that created your mess to start with? When Jesus said, let me give you life, and that life more abundant. God wants you close. Sin will ruin always, always, always. And it has to be removed. And it's removed only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And once it's removed, it's gone forever. It's gone forever. Now listen, if you're here today and you say, I'm Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, all rolled into one, I don't care. I want to know, are you born again? Have you come to the place where you realize my life is a mess? And I told everybody how saved I was, and God's telling me right now, you're not. You're not. But if you'll come to Jesus Christ today and say something like this, Lord, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Could you save me? I'll give you my life. Guess what? 
He'll save you quicker and quicker and sooner than right now. I can't believe it'd be that easy. Wasn't it for you, Dave? You, you got to realize I'm a sinner. I can quit. I need to quit blaming the church or blaming the preacher or blaming my mother and my father and all that. You got to realize I am a sinner. And recognize Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And you may not understand it all. Listen, I've had people for years tell me, I just don't understand all this salvation stuff. I just don't understand it. Listen to me. I don't understand how indoor plumbing works, but I ain't going to do without it. Didn't mean to offend you, ma'am. The truth of the matter is, here's God's plan. It's not good deeds. It's not church membership. It's not being a part of the Lions, the Mooses, or any other club. It's part of realizing I'm a sinner. Jesus is God's Son, died for me. And if I ask Him, He will save me. And then once that happens, beloved, that's forever. Forever. What if I mess up? He calls you like a father does and says, come on back, you need to get right. You need to get right. If you stay out there long enough, I can tell you this according to the Word of God. If you're born again and you stay away from God long enough, here's what's going to happen. We'll have your funeral. You believe that? Only according to the Word of God. God says, I won't be trifled with. I wanted Israel to be a people, a name, a glory, and they would not. And if you go on and read the next few chapters or know anything about that, he said, there's a war coming. There's a nation coming that's going to kick the ever-loving tar out of Israel and bring her to her knees. But guess what? They will be so embedded in sin, they still will not repent. That kind of sounds like folks I know in America. Here's the deal. I'm about to done. Second time. If you've never been born again, thought you were, wished you were, hoped you were, said, told everybody you were, if you know down deep in your life that God has spoke to you this morning and said, you're not one of mine. I love you, but you're not mine. Then you need to be down here this morning and meet with somebody and say, I need to be saved. What will everybody think? They'd probably think you were a sinner and you needed a Savior just like I did. Or, maybe you got stuff in your life, Christian. Jealousy, resentment, gossip. You name it, not me. And you know that God wants better out of you than that. Why don't you get down here on your knees and say, Dear God, Dad, I am so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry I sinned that way. When I was just graduated high school, <clears throat> Moore, Oklahoma, I just graduated in May, first part of June. My dad and I had a conversation. We were very close always, but we had gotten, I, I was doing a lot of things I shouldn't be doing, and Dad was calling me out on them. He and I were at the barn alone, and I said some things I shouldn't have said, the way I shouldn't have said them. I was hateful. I was ugly. And he just kind of smiled and went on his way. That rocked alone for several days, man. I felt like dirt. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You said that thing that your wife or your husband didn't need to hear, and you crushed them. And I knew I'd hurt my dad. 
we got busy, he got busy, I got busy, and we were running in different circles until I'm about to pop. So finally we were at the barn together about a week later, and I just rushed to him, put my arms around him, was crying. I said, Dad, I am so ashamed and so sorry. And he hugged me, and he said, you hurt me. I said, I know I did, Dad. He said, you disappointed me. I said, I know I did, Dad. And he said, this will be the last time it's ever spoken of. Mom don't need to know. The other kids don't need to know. But you and I know that we've made this right. I was like, I'm so glad, Dad. That was about a Saturday. Tuesday. I'm at work. R.C. Cola Bottling Company, downtown Oklahoma City. One of the guys comes over and said, Bowman, you need to go with me. I said, where are we going? He said, we got some chores to do for the boss off campus. And I thought, hey, praise God, anything get out of here. So we take off. We started heading down I-35 toward Moore from Oklahoma City. I said, Charlie, where are we going? He said, uh, we got to do some job for the boss down his farm. I said, Okay. We get a little closer to North 12th Street. Many of you have seen that exit. We got off on 12th Street and headed east where I lived. I said, Charlie, where are we going? He said, we're going to go out and have a glass of tea with your mama. He knew my mama. He said, we're going to have a glass of tea with her, and you're going to get some gloves, and we're going to go to Bob's place and work. I said, okay. We come down 119th Street. We turned looked up the hill. We lived up on top of a tall hill and looked up the hill, and there's three or four strange cars sitting around. We got a little closer, and I recognized that's Miss Morgan, Mom's neighbor down the road. Then I saw the pastor's car. I said, this ain't right. We drive up, and I jump out, and I run in the door, and I walk in, and my mother's sitting on a little chair right over there, and she's just white, and she's weeping. I said, Mama, what's wrong? She said, they called an hour ago. Your dad's been killed. He was hit head on by a propane truck just north of Amber. Of course, I did the typical thing of, can't be daddy, not dad, but it was. When everything was going on through those several days and getting ready for the funeral, y'all have been there, many of you have, and I got alone out the barn and those memories from the week before come flooding back of what I'd said, what I'd done, how I'd acted. But then his face appeared in my mind and the moment when we hugged and I asked his forgiveness and apologized and he forgave me and everything was going to be all right, Andy. Do you know how glad I was then and I am now of having that chance to tell my father I screwed up? I'm upset. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And he looked at me with that chubby face of his and said, It's forgiven. It'll never come up again. Do you know that's exactly what God wants from you? He knows you messed up. He knows that you didn't want to come to church this morning. He knows how you was fussing at the wife and kids that you didn't want to go this morning and acted a jerk. But he loves you enough that if you come to him, he'll say it's okay. I love you. 
you're forgiven. If you're a child of God and you know that relationship is strained and that fellowship has been broken, God's just waiting on you to come back and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Let me do different. And if there's any other sin in your life, it's separating you from what you know God wants you to be. And you're profitable for nothing. Invitation is this. If you never truly, sure enough, for real, been born again, been saved, you need to come today. And we'll have somebody here talk to you about that. I'll talk to you about that. If you know that you're a child of God, but your life is way off course, won't you come back to the Father and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Guess what he'll do? He will. Because he wants you close. Pray with me. Father, I love you, Lord, in this chance to preach. And God, I thank you so much that you're always there for any of us to come to you. You're always there to save and forgive anybody who will come to you. That no matter what we've done, Lord, you want to forgive us because you want us to be close to you. Father God, save that sinner. Save that good person sinner. Think they don't need it. Save that young person. Mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, save them today. Father, for Christians who are just out there messing around on the edge of your, of your will, God, I pray you'll stir a new heart in them. And let them come running back to you. And we give you glory and praise for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, for invitation? You say, preacher, I've never really been saved. I'll meet you right here if you want to talk about that. And show enough for real, you can get saved, honey. You say, I need to get back to my father. Come on. Come on. What can wash?